Welcome to an interview with John Wooden. The 42 minutes that follow cover Hall of Fame basketball coach John Wooden's thoughts on leadership. The interviewer is Brian McCormick, and the conversation with Coach Wooden takes place on August 16, 2006. Well, I want to start by thanking you for the gift of your time today. You're very welcome. This piece will hopefully give some people who have not been exposed to your your insights uh, the chance to learn something from you. So thanks again for that. You're very welcome. And, and it's also a great personal pleasure for me to, to spend a few minutes listening to you uh, because I just I want to say how impressed I am with the philosophy and, and the values that you've lived and that you've talked about in your books. It, it really resonates with me, and it's great for me to be able to uphold when I talk to people to say, you know, here's someone who, who lives right and has the values that we should all have and, and was still able to be successful along with that. So I, I just really want to commend you on that. Thank you, sir. When you consider your legacy, what are the most important things that come to mind? The fact that most all the players that I had under my, under my supervision graduated, got their degrees, and have done well or reasonably well in whatever profession they've chosen. There have been many uh, attorneys, uh, doctors, uh, uh, dentists, uh, eight ministers, uh, businessmen, teachers, a uh, couple actors, and whatever profession, uh, it seems that they've done well or reasonably well. And uh, that probably gives me more satisfaction than anything else. Okay, sure. I was noticing in your latest book, you posed the question, how many of those under my leadership have achieved personal greatness? And, and my question is, then, is, is, is that the measure of how we should judge the effectiveness of a leader, or is there some other measure that we should use to judge that? Well, I think that judgment of success, or perhaps a leader, is... Is, can be done only actually by the individual themselves. I believe that the individual himself is the only person that really knows whether made the effort to do the best of which they're uh, uh, capable. It's like character reputation. Uh, character is what you are. You're the only one that knows that. Uh, reputation is what you're perceived to be by others. And perception of others is not always accurate. Okay. Is there anything that people often just don't get about leadership or, or something in your experience, a lot of people, uh, any concept of it that they have a hard time grasping? I think so. I think uh, the general feeling uh, goes along with uh, Mr. Webster's uh, definition of success, which more or less defines success as accumulation of material possessions or the attainment of possession of power or uh, something of that sort. I don't think those necessarily indicated, but that's why people judge uh, if they, if they, they, what they perceive to be success, if they're doing that, uh, they're considered to be great leaders. But there can be great leaders that, um, in my opinion, that never uh, achieve that type of recognition. Okay. I like your quote from Robert Louis Stevenson where you talked about better to travel hopefully than to arrive. And yes, and uh, Cervantes said the road is better than the inn. And that's why, in a sense, that uh, I tried to use that uh, as far as basketball 
concerned. I tried to practice was the important thing. To me, practice was the road. The end is the game, and uh, there's a more enjoyment uh, in, in the practice. That's what I enjoyed more than anything else. The, the practice is the teaching, and that's the only thing I miss since I've, act, I've retired from, from teaching. Sure. Now, do you think that you were rare in that respect? Because it seems like a lot of coaches, you know, they're just the opposite. They don't want to go through the, the what they would, I guess, call the drudgery of practices. Well, I wouldn't speak for others, but there have been some coaches who I've been fortunate to be asked to, after my retirement, to observe a practice such as Mike Krzyzewski at Duke when I was back in Durham for a McDonald's all, uh, High School All-American game. He invited me over to practice to watch it, and I was very impressed uh, with with the way he conducted practice a lot. And uh, I didn't talk to him whether he enjoyed that more than the games or not, but uh, I liked the way he did it, and I felt that's uh, one of the great reasons for his success. And another coach from our conference out here then invited me to practice and flew me down to Arizona as New Dolson from Arizona. And I liked the way they, they practiced. I, they had everything timed uh, properly and didn't waste time and it was very well organized. And those, those appealed to me very much. And, uh, and uh, I think they're uh, a partial reason for the success of those two individual coaches. Uh, everybody knows that talent comes first, but uh, you have to know what to do with it, and they know what to do with it. Sure. Okay. Do you, are there any other quotes that, that you really like that you'd like to share, or do those two pretty well sum it up? Well, and yes, there's so, so many that I like. Uh, a different quotes, you know, so I use a lot of maxims and different things. I like to use the one uh, of uh, you uh, make a living by what you get. You make a life by what you give. Okay. And uh, I, I, that's a quote that I've liked. And I like, uh, you cannot live a perfect day without doing something for another, without any thought of something in return. And those sort of go along in what I try to teach teamwork. I want to be considered the other person and always working for the team. Of course, I want you to uh, develop your individual abilities and talents, but then let's put that to use for the welfare of all. And those, uh, and there are many others that sort of bring that out, in, in my opinion. Sure. What about a favorite book? <laughs> I I have many. Okay. First, the best book of all is the Bible. You know that, and I know that. And there you can find things that can help you in any particular situation uh, if you'll just uh, look for it. And uh, uh, but individual books, there's different things about different authors that I like, and uh, I, I I don't believe that I would single out any other single one. Okay. I like, uh, I enjoy poetry, and I find many things that are helpful in poetry. Uh, uh, for example, uh, let's see if I can think of some offhand. Well, uh, Sir Thomas Gray's Elegy written in the country churchyard. There's a couple of, there's more than one, but a couple of verses that stand out to me. And one is, 
uh, full many a gem of purest ray serene, the deep unfathomed caves of ocean bare, full many a flower is born to blush unseen, the wasted sweetness on the desert air. And I can use that at various times with different people, uh, different uh, players and different people under my supervision for different reasons. And then in the same poem, there's another one that says, the boast of heraldry, the pomp of power, all that beauty, all that wealth e'er gave, awaits the like the inevitable hour, the paths of glory lead but to the grave. And, and that is usable when someone is getting uh, too, too full of themselves, perhaps. And uh, there, there are many uh, different poems and things like that, uh, verses from poems that uh, appeal to me more, and I've used an awful lot in my teaching. Okay. And when you bring up the Bible, are there, what are the things that keep you strong in your faith and, and draw you, continue to draw you closer to God? Uh, the belief in that, the true belief that uh, things will work out as they should, which doesn't mean that way we would want them to necessarily, but uh, they will, uh, think the work out as they should, providing, of course, that we do what we're capable of doing to help it become reality. I think there's too much thought of just wanting things to come out a certain way, but you don't do everything you're capable of doing to help that become a reality. And I think you can find that in uh, many different, uh, uh, stated in different ways, right down many of the different uh, people in the Bible. Sure, okay. Uh, I love the story of, that you shared in one of your books of you as a youth testing your coach when you when you you didn't have your jersey, and so it kind of you were oh, yeah. illustrating a little of your human side. And yeah. so I'm I'm just curious for experiences in your life that you think have, have been vital to your development. Well, I think that is one. Uh, definitely, when uh, I was probably getting too big for myself, and uh, that brought me down. He thought I was tired, and I should sit on the bench, and uh, we lost a game. Uh, I'm sure he felt that I felt we could have won if I had played. Uh, but it taught me uh, quite a lesson, and I don't think I tried to pull anything like that again. And uh, instead of being upset of him, I'm, that was only temporary. But as time goes by, I appreciated more and more what he had done. And there are different things uh, of that sort. Uh, now, Mr. Lambert, my... Uh, college coach you would think as a man of as high principles as anybody I've ever known in so many ways, a tremendous competitor during the course of a game, but when the game is over, it's over, and uh, that's the way he took it, but boy, while it's going on, he was very, very competitive, was tremendous on preparation for getting ready, and uh, I, I think my basic philosophy that I use out of my pyramid probably came from Mr. Lambert to get your teams in the best possible physical condition, explain to them how that can be done, what you have to do as, as the drills you have to do in practice and what they must do between practices that is a dual responsibility. And then he able to leave so much on quickness and I myself believe that the most valuable physical asset in almost any sport whether it be football, basketball, baseball, wrestling, tennis, whatever it might be, is quickness under control. And Lambert certainly yeah, was searching for that all the time. He might give up a little bit of size to get more quickness. Now, you have to have so much size, of course, but where some would give up a little quickness to get more.
more size. Uh, uh, he would give a, a, some size to get more quickness. And then the third thing in the heart was, uh, it was team spirit. He required that the team come first and that would bring that in, that out in many ways. He wanted every person to feel a part of the team. Everyone was needed. Everybody had a role. Some of the roles were uh, just uh, more playing than far more than others, but uh, those that weren't playing as much had different roles that were equally important uh, uh, for the success of the group as a whole. And I think in various ways, uh, he, he, you'd find that out. You didn't get it. You don't get it from just just telling you that by his actions and things he did, that he did to get that. And eventually, uh, many, many years later, when I came with my pyramid, those three things became the heart of the pyramid. When you talk about your pyramid, which which I, I think is phenomenal, and, and your definition of success that goes with that, how, how common is it for people in your estimation to achieve that success as you define it? I don't think it's as common as it should be. Okay. I don't think it's actually too common, but uh, I know uh, it, it all started by coining my own definition by a when I was teaching English in high school, finding parents, many parents, uh, uh, would make the teacher or the youngster feel they'd failed if they didn't receive an A or B. And everybody couldn't earn an A or B. And, and the same thing, uh, uh, successful coaches are determined by many by uh, uh, the, the winning percentage. Well, I don't think that's necessarily it. So I wanted to come up with my own definition of success. And my father, and tried to teach me and my brothers when I was in the grade school on the farm that you should never try to be better than someone else. Uh, that's something over which you have no control and you shouldn't get too involved or engrossed in, in the things over which you have no control. It will have a detrimental effect on the things of which you have. Learn from others, you'd say, because you'll never know a thing that you do not learn from someone else in one way or another. And then most of all was never cease trying to be the best you can be. Yeah, he tried to get those across, and, and later on in my teaching philosophy, he also gave me a seven-point creed when I graduated from grade school, and one of them was, make each day your masterpiece. And I think my philosophy in teaching probably used that thing more than anything else. My players never heard me mention winning. I wanted winning to be a byproduct of the preparation that we're making to execute near our own particular level of competence and not worrying about the others. And um, I, I, I think that those things came to me years later and helped me coin my definition of success along with, uh, along with a verse that I read. And I'm always getting things from verses. I've always loved poetry. And there was a little simple verse that said, At God's footstool to confess, a poor soul knelt and bowed his head. I failed, he cried. The Master said, Thou didst thy best. That is success. And that's what I tried to get across uh, at all times, uh, whether it be to my teens, to my children, or anybody else. Make the effort to, to do the best of which you're capable. Nobody can do more than that. Others may be more talented, have more facilities and all that, but no one can do more than to make the effort uh, to uh, do the best of which they're capable under the conditions that exist for them. Right. I took a long time on that, didn't I? No, I, I liked Sorry. it. It was great. <laughs> what about your dream? I think from my father's teachings, my dream wasn't to win 
national championships. I really believe that in my, I think perhaps in my early years, perhaps, but as time went by, all I was hoping to do is to do sort of what I talked about a moment before, is to learn to do things the best of my ability and not to worry about the other fellow and not trying to be better, but just trying to be the best. You'd hope for uh, to things to turn out the way that you want them to, but uh, uh, you you have to be very prepared to fail, and you have to do that. And uh, uh, I I don't think I really don't think <laughs> that what my dream wasn't to have a lot of uh, national championships long before we had any. <laughs> I I think I had. Uh, the philosophy more. I wanted those under my supervision to do well. I agreed to get great uh, uh, satisfaction out of seeing those that I had been under my supervision to do well in things that aren't pertaining necessarily to basketball. Uh, and uh, uh, you, you like to feel, you know, whether they be a doctor or an attorney or whatever they're doing, uh, you, you like to feel that their successes that you had a little part of it and if they are failures you wonder what you could have done to help prevent that and I believe that as time went by I, I saw that more clear uh, than I, clearer than I did in the beginning okay what what about like nowadays what what dream do you have now I've been trying since my retirement to establish uh, and now I'm nearly wife, Ellen and John Wooden, uh, great-grandchildren, uh, uh, academic trust, and one sure that all of my 13 great-grandchildren at the present time will uh, have the funds to receive a college education. That's my, I started that a few years ago, and that's what I'm trying to establish. Oh, great. That's terrific. If, uh, if you had to, looking back, is there anything you wish you would have done more of or, or differently at all? I mean, I, I know you were very clear on what you were trying to achieve at the time, so I, uh, you know, I would guess there's probably nothing, but I'm just curious. Is there anything that you would have done? Of course. Uh, of course there are. I'm, I'm, as I look back, but the things that I'm, uh, I'm, Regret that I did more, do more of was do more things for my wife oh, while she was with me. That, for example, it seems as I think back, she did more things for me. We do, uh, she'd go to a sporting events, which I would enjoy more, when maybe she would like to have gone to a, a recital or an opera or something, which I didn't, but she always went with me, and I wish that I had done more. She loved to dance. I didn't. I never took the time to go there and really learn so that we could do that together. And so those are the, the regrets I have. And then some of the decisions that I made uh, that uh, uh, didn't turn out well for individuals, I regret that I made the decision. Although I, I, when I made the decision, I thought it was right. And, and, um, and that's what you should do. I try to teach that. Uh, 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 when you make an essay, make sure that you think this is right, and then it is right. I don't care how it turns out. You might wish that it turned out differently, but uh, for example, it's uh, playing certain players. I'm just uh, trying to read the basketball now. Reporters, uh, the media, or the alumni might feel that you should play this fellow more. Uh, it would be wrong. You 
you do that unless you think that is what should be done. You're in a position to know more than anybody else about it because you see them every day. So you make a decision on certain things to do certain things. If it doesn't turn out right, that doesn't mean you're wrong. And so I think many things that I, I, I would regret the way they turned out, but uh, I don't regret the fact that I did uh, what I should do. And then and there are some occasions when uh, I won't make me specific on them, when I, I, I did give in uh, to uh, maybe, uh, I, maybe it was outside pressure or something, there's things that I didn't think I should have done, and then that was wrong, regardless of how it turned out. Sure. You know, and just to let you know, I when I reviewed your books, that was one thing that really hit home with me is just your the adoration for your wife that you shared, and, and that really, you know, it spoke to me and it said to me, you know, I, I really want to get closer to that relationship with my wife. We have a wonderful relationship, but it just, you know, your wisdom, it, it really spoke to me and it said to me, you know, I, I need to really... I need to continue to be mindful of that every day, of not getting caught up in my daily duties and, and forgetting the importance of, of her. So I thank you for that. Well, as, uh, as I said, and I do believe that the greatest joy you can have is uh, finding out that something you've said or done has been uh, meaningful to another, and especially when it was done without your uh, thinking about getting something for it. Right. My career after college started 10 years ago teaching English and coaching in a high school setting. So um, I'm curious, what advice would you give to someone just starting in teaching and coaching today like, like you were at the beginning of your career? Well, one of the most important things is the ability to listen. Listen to others. You learn so much. You can learn from your students, uh, like they're going to learn from you. You learn certain things. You must analyze, learn to analyze all those uh, that are under your supervision. That's so important. You must remember that uh, to make all those under your supervision, your students, uh, or whatever it might be, to uh, whether it be in business or sports or family or whatever it is, to make them feel that uh, you're working together. Never make anyone feel they're working for you, that you're working together toward a common goal. And you have to listen to others because that's where we learn from listening to others. That doesn't just need my ears that we can do it, but by our eyes. And, 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 and uh, in other ways, you must listen to others. Okay. Well, my recommendation for people that aspire to lead would be to, to study your pyramid of success and, and read your books. Are there any other books or experiences that you would recommend aspiring leaders should should read or be involved with? I don't want to pick out anything special, no. There are many of them, many of them. Uh, okay. You get things. Uh, I, I've enjoyed uh, reading certain of the Oriental philosophers, and I get things that are, I think are helpful here and there, and I'll see, for example, some of the things. And, uh, but there, uh, there are others, and it's just... Uh, uh, I, I think I like to read uh, a biographies of, of those who are considered to be uh, uh, outstanding people in the time. I think I've got more from uh, Lincoln, uh, his books, and I'm a Lincoln fan. I have so many of his books, and but that, it's the little things that he says that uh, helps helps so much. Uh, 
for his children is love their mother. The worst thing you can do for your children or people you love are the things they could and should do for themselves. And uh, most anybody can stand adversity, but the test person's character give them power. And I could go on and on and mention many of Lincoln's uh, short statements that have so much depth. There's nothing stronger than gentleness and uh, things of that sort. Just uh, any, any number of them. What about your most admired leader and, and why? Well, my most admired leader is Mother Teresa, because she has lived in my lifetime. I, my, I might look at her as a leader. I think she was. I think uh, one of her statements carries it all in which she says, a life not lived for others is not a life. And if anyone truly lived their life for others, Mother Teresa. No one ever lived their life, in my opinion, for others as much. But I like to read about. I like to read about Helen Keller. How she overcame all the diversities that she had. Uh, I like to read it about uh, Eleanor Roosevelt and uh, and, uh, and of course about uh, Churchill and, uh, and uh, many of the other uh, leaders in, in in different areas. I like to read about. Uh, now, uh, for example. Uh, I've been out all the time if I would consider uh, General Patton as, as sort of a model or an idol that I would like. And I said, no, I don't approve his methods, but I sure want him on my side in time of war. You talked about the importance of being an effective listener to, to yes. leadership. Yes. Um, what about decisiveness in one's actions? How important is that? Well, it's like this. I think I used this little quote in one of the books. Uh, the one who once so wisely said, be sure you're right, then go ahead. Might well have added this to it. Be sure you're wrong before you quit. Uh, and I think that is true. Don't make a hasty decision. There may be times you have to act quickly, but I don't mean hastily. You must have some background for the decision that you make, and uh, don't give up on it too quickly. If you thought it, uh, that it was sound to begin with, and don't give up too quick. It takes time for the <laughs> things to develop. Good things take time, and I, I, I think they should, and I think they do. You explained that the character cannot be taught, and I, and I love the story that you shared about how you passed on a, a certain player uh, that was very talented because of a character issue that you identified through the recruiting process. Right. Um, um, I guess my question is, what do you do when there's someone on your team and you're the leader, that person's already there and, and really can't be removed? How is there anything you can do to try to raise up that person? And you know, if you if you don't have the option not to have them a part of your team. Well, yes, you can deny privileges. I think the greatest motivating we have is the denial of privileges. I think along with the pat on the back, although sometimes it has to be lower and harder, they're great motivational things. But uh, uh, denial of privileges, I think, is one of the most effective disciplines you have. And uh, uh, you, someone, if you're coming in new and someone has been a leader but he's not doing the job, you, you must use tact. You must handle it with very tact, but gradually bring it around so that they personally will understand uh, uh, what you're doing and the reasoning back of 
Wow. What about, are there any changes you've identified in leadership style or in people who would, I guess you'd consider leaders over the course of your lifetime? Well, yes, there's, there's some that are considered to be great leaders that I think are more dictators than drivers, but there is the dictator type, and then there's what I, I prefer to as the one that's leading rather than driving. I think the dictator drives and can do it very successfully, and, and there's the other who leads more. Uh, so uh, I think you can see that. And, well, I think Lombardi was a great leader. And I think he also was the driver. I think he was the dictator part. As Kramer, one of his great ends, once I replied when asked if Lombardi treated them all the same, and he said he certainly does. He treats us all like dogs. Uh, but he was a great leader, and uh, his style is, is entirely different. I think uh, Tom Landry is very successful. Don Shula is very successful. I'm just talking about football now. But their styles were, were all different, and I think you'll see that in, uh, in, in all sports. And I think it also doesn't get as much publicity. You'll see it in business and, and all other things. But I think the most effective leaders are, though, in whatever method they use, is the, the ones who get their followers to buy in uh, to their philosophy and work together toward the, reaching the common goal, whatever that might be. What, what about when, you know, you, you talk about the dictators versus the drivers, but I'm, I'm curious, what is the distinction in your mind between a leader and a manager? Oh, there's not a great deal of difference in a way. Uh, management can be different than just manager, managing people, you see. There's a difference there. Yeah, but you have to say managing your time, that's managing. And I think it's extremely important a person is going to be effective, whatever he must manage their time so effectively so they don't use, uh, don't waste too much time, I think. But on the uh, same line of sign, I, I think one of my strengths as a teacher of basketball was the ability to manage the time to get as much done as possible in a limited amount of time and not wasting time. I think that, I think that, that that the manager organizes, and uh, maybe that's not looked like uh, that, a, that a leader would organize that much, but the manager must organize for things. So there's a part of each and both. Okay. What about your, your greatest joy in life today? My children, my great-grandchildren, I've been very blessed. I'm a I, within uh, a couple hours of me, last all of my 13 great-grandchildren live, and I see them regularly. I breakfast this morning with two of them. Oh. I had a great-grandson and a great-granddaughter and, and a granddaughter, and to uh, be so blessed that they've all stayed for uh, that I get to do that. And then uh, so many of my ex-players who also are part of my extended family, and I have breakfast with one or more of them many times during the course of a month. I go to the same place every morning, and, and Mike Warren or Andy Hill or Keith Erickson or many others uh, will call and want to come to breakfast, and that gives me great joy. That's terrific. What do you think that organizations or teams do that either encourages or stifles 
then the, well, the leader gives credit to the followers, and some of them stifle trying to take the credit for themselves. And I think it's most important that the leader give credit to, uh, to the followers and, and make them feel that they had an important part and make them feel that uh, they're working with him, not for them. For them. And I, don't, I think in many cases that isn't done. And uh, I, I think the effective leader is going to get far more out of his followers when he makes them feel important. He must give credit and not blame. He makes the final decision, so if it doesn't go well, he's to blame, but give credit for them when things go well. Okay. Well, who are people that it's been a highlight for you to meet in your lifetime? I mean, just reading the different um, quotes that people have shared about you, I mean, it's clear that for so many people it's been a highlight to meet you. Are there any folks where it's, it's just really been a highlight in your life to meet up with them? Yes, I've, I've had the pleasure of meeting a number of presidents, and that's been uh, great. And when I received the Medal of Freedom uh, two years ago, uh, even more so than the than the, the president, who was very gracious and all that, was meeting his lovely wife, Laura, who I had respect for, her, knowing a little bit of her background, that she was a teacher and a librarian, and she was a gracious uh, person she was, and that... Uh, I enjoyed uh, doing that. Uh, happy that I had the opportunity to do that. I had an opportunity to work with the Habitat uh, Humanity uh, Building out here in Los Angeles a few years ago with uh, President Carter and his lovely wife. Lunch with him, set by her, and, and visited with her and with him. And uh, those are sort of things that give me pleasure. But also, I had pleasure with uh, with just meeting with people that aren't well known. That uh, there's so many wonderful people nobody uh, knows anything about. You may just stumble on them and find out that uh, there's a certain person that knows at breakfast every morning. And I go to the same place, I say conservatively speaking, six or seven days a week. <laughs> that uh, most interesting individual, and it's just been a pleasure to get to know him. And uh, there's been many things like that. It's not necessarily just the people that are in the the uh, high-profile positions with many of the others that has been wonderful. Okay, great. Um, who are other leaders that we should look into featuring that it would benefit aspiring leaders to learn more about? You should read them. I think about them, study all you can about uh, those that are recognized by others, such as Covey, uh, some of the things that he's written on leadership. Oh, a number of the others. I think one should study Billy Graham who's the person uh, today that I have such tremendous respect uh, for and admiration. And uh, uh, I, I think you get more from reading the, the biographies that you'll find of uh, uh, very uh, influential people in history. Okay. But, but there, 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 are, there are so many others, too. Not everybody can pick some crayons and, and, and uh, some paint and a piece of paper and give you a beautiful picture. Right. Uh, some can, some can, most can, but some can, and otherwise uh, uh, some can do it, some can uh, have much more ability to express themselves much better than others. Maybe with the same amount of knowledge, some can express it better sure. uh, than others, and trying to analyze, determine why, and it's, it's fun to learn. Uh, just like I always enjoy it, as a teacher, I like to study the background of all my players, and I study their transcripts, I want to know whether they come from 
interests of their parents. And uh, uh, I can learn so much about the individual by studying the environment that he's been around uh, before. I wouldn't have him come to UCLA, but I think we can do that in other ways, too. Okay, my, my other question is, what else would it be valuable for me to teach people by including it in this feature about you and leadership that maybe I haven't been able to touch on yet? Can you think of anything of value for leaders? Well, I think I mentioned that one of the very first things is that listening. That should be emphasized, listening, listening. I think, uh, I think uh, two-way, I think parenting is the most important profession in the world. And I think in many cases, parents do not listen enough to the youngsters, and the youngsters do not listen to the parents. And if you expect uh, people to listen to you, you have to listen to them. I think that's extremely important. And uh, I, I think that, that is, I think that's something that perhaps has been overlooked in many things. I think it's considered to be uh, extremely important, the ability to listen. There are a lot of people here, but they don't listen. And uh, so many people are trying to think what they're going to say next instead of listening to what the individual speaking would do so. I, I think I think I, I don't think there's stress made on listening, and I think it's so extremely important, not just for for leaders, but I think it's important for for everyone. Okay, want to once again just tell you that just so much of your wisdom it really speaks to me, and 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 obviously to many others. You've had so many accolades over the years, you know that, but I just. Just from one person to another, I want to tell you um, how much I appreciate your, your well, thoughts. I, I get, they've got to keep things in proper perspective. It's so important that you keep things in proper Yes, I've received a lot of accolades. I've received lots of awards. But practically every award I, I've received has been the, uh, because of others with whom I worked or were under my supervision or with whom I was working. Yeah, and it's been such a pleasure, and I thank you so much for, for sharing of your time with me. You're very welcome. This concludes the interview with John Wooden. For more about Coach Wooden's leadership, such as a written account of this interview, biographical background information, and links to other websites about Coach Wooden, visit www.leadernetwork.org.